one. It's time for Cover 2 Broncos. Just a couple dudes breaking down scheme, film, and the numbers. Now, your host, Joe Rowles. Welcome back to another episode of Cover 2 Broncos. I am Joe Rowles, and we are beyond the bye at this point. Kind of hitting the meat grinder of the final stretch of the Broncos season. They are 5-5. There are seven games to go. Um, five of those games are division matchups, which kind of brings us to where we are today. First up is the Chargers, and there was nobody I would rather have to discuss this breakdown than Michael Peterson from Bulls from the Blue. Uh, if you guys do not follow him on Twitter, go do so. He is at Zone Tracks. Uh, otherwise, you can find his work at Bulls from the Blue. Thanks for joining me, man. I'm happy to have you. Yeah, man, I appreciate it. It's uh, the first tilt between the Chargers and Broncos, and it's always weird to to think that's the case this late into the season. And like you mentioned, the Broncos have, you said, five division games uh, within the, like, the second half of the, the season. I think the Chargers had something like that recently as well. Uh, so it's it's a tough grind because they're, like, you care about every game, but these games like matter just a little bit more. So that like it really makes for a stressful you know final half of the season. Yeah, the the Broncos have the five divisional matchups and then the Bengals. So the only like quote unquote like relief kind of game is the is the matchup with the Lions. But honestly, by the time they play the Lions, if they're in the middle of the playoff hunt, they won't be able to afford to drop that one either. But the Broncos kind of made their bed with this. Like they dropped games against Cleveland that they shouldn't have lost. They lost to the Steelers when that game was within their grasp. They should have won that. And they should have beat the Raiders when they caught the Raiders in the first divisional game. The Raiders had just fired John Gruden because of, you know, everything that went down there. So, like, that's the kind of turmoil you would expect. If you're going to push for the playoffs, you take advantage. And they didn't. Mm -hmm. Uh, So they're kind of in this spot now where you basically have to pretty close to win out. Which, hard to say that that's going to happen. But, you know, maybe. Um, So, kind of from there... uh, I want to. I want to also touch on the fact that we are recording this on Tuesday. Uh, I tried to find out from my managing editor when it would drop. Um, I got a pretty vague answer, so you guys may be listening to this to like Tuesday night, as early as Tuesday night. Uh, you may be listening to this on Thanksgiving. Um, regardless, you you might be listening, you know, on Saturday right before the game. But I, I did want to touch on this kind of just before we go uh, into the real matchup. I'm pretty thankful this year. This has been a pretty good year for me. Uh, I know, like, I know it's kind of cliche to do the whole thankful thing, but, but I am, I am really thankful for obviously you guys listening. I'm thankful for this opportunity that I get to have to write about the Broncos. I'm thankful to get to chat with you. Obviously you and I have kind of been back and forth every time the Broncos play the Chargers for a long time now, but I actually get to talk to you this time, which is cool. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know. It's, it's been a pretty cool year, so I'm, I'm pretty grateful. Yeah, um, I'm assuming that I should probably share what I'm thankful for as well here. Um, don't want to like dampen that, you know, that good positivity. Uh, yeah, man. So in terms of this year, it's been honestly, ever since I got married three years ago, a lot of stuff has happened, yeah. which like, yeah, I got married. So like three years ago, which is, you know, something I'm always going to be thankful for my wife. But then um, there was moving across the country. I was in Savannah, Georgia, moved back to my home state of Iowa. Um, a year after we got married. And so I was thankful to be like back in the Midwest, but like a month after I got back to the Midwest, um, I got the call that I had um, gotten the job to become one of SB Nation's full-time writers for the California sports group. And which is this job that I, I am so 
unbelievably blessed to have. I get to cover the Chargers and like do that for a living. It's absolutely phenomenal. And no matter what, I'll always continue to say that like I'm blessed or even lucky at that point, or I even fell into it somehow. You know, it just doesn't seem real at this point, even, even you know, two years into the job. Um, so absolutely blessed to have that. Um, most recently, um, my wife and I have bought a house, our very first house together. Congrats, yeah. So that's, awesome. that's uh closing on that, hopefully in you know, in another month or so. Um, so like these big things are happening. And I, you know, I could make a laundry list of things that I'm thankful for at this point. But to be doing something like this, obviously with you, where like it's work, you know, like mm-hmm. this is work. This is what I get to do. Um, something as simple as chilling on a what is it, Tuesday evening talking Broncos Chargers football. Like it doesn't get much better than that. I feel that. Uh, yeah, no. And that, and that's kind of like, I don't know. I, every once in a while, you, you know, you get caught up in it. Like when the Broncos have like a bad loss or something, I'm like, man, it sucks, blah, blah, blah. But then I think about, it, I'm like, I get to write about why I'm upset about this. And pe- yeah, I don't know. It just, yep. it's a dream. No, I totally, I totally feel that because, uh, the year before I started covering, well, actually, what would that be 2018? So 2020 season was the first year of I was actually covering the team like full time, not just basically part time. Um, but like 2018 was cool because it was like, oh my god, this team's winning. They went 12 and four, right? It was like the easiest year ever. And then I think the next year they went five and eleven. Yeah, I want to say like it just tanked. And so then it's just pain all year long. And then last year, up until they won four games straight to end the season. Uh, what would that have been? Then they were uh, three and um, nine, you know, like at that point, all kinds of pain. And then, you know, this year, like this is a winnable, uh, a winning Chargers team. The product uh, is going out there and competing. And I mean, almost the same thing can be said for the Broncos as well. And really the entire division, right? Everyone's winning. We're all like this close from each other. Um, I think I speak for you, me and Raiders fans as well. That like, we're kind of pissed the Chiefs all of a sudden figured their, their stuff out and are at the top of the division again. And now it's like, well, wait a minute, what happened to the first part of the season where we were all making fun of them and super stoked that they were in the bottom of the AFC West? And whatever, we're thankful. I'm not going to bring in the negativity with that, but it's frustrating. I will say that I would have been a lot more thankful for the division or for the way things are going if the Broncos would have got the Chiefs in the first half of the year rather than twice in the second half of the year. And they actually got a flexed game now, so we're going to have a primetime Patrick Mahomes versus Fangio matchup next week. Hopefully, uh, like for our listeners, right, my listeners, hopefully the Broncos go into it off of a win. Otherwise, it's gonna it could be really, really down. But first, we got obviously we have the Chargers. I kind of want to touch on kind of the first thing, Brand Staley. Uh, Brand Staley for Broncos fans. He's kind of the guy who got away in a lot of ways just because he was a member of the Fangio staff, went to L.A., looked really good. And basically, the NFL at large kind of caught on to the fact that, like, holy crap, this guy is, like, really smart, knows what he's doing. His defensive system suddenly kind of made the Fangio system in vogue. And all offseason, we heard about too high, kind of, like, the different match coverages. And just, you know, all that went to Staley got a lot of credit for it. Now he's the head coach. Has he kind of lived up to the hype? Like, how? Like, what's the vibe coming coming out of LA? Like, are you guys pretty happy with him so far, or like, where where are you guys landing on it? Yeah, I would say that probably ninety nine percent of Chargers fans, and I'd even almost feel confident saying one hundred percent Chargers fans are stoked about Brandon Staley. Now, 
I'll be one of the first people to tell you that like he wasn't on my short list for um, the Chargers when the coaching carousel was going on. Uh, I think me and everyone else assumed that it was going to be an offensive minded coach because we wanted someone who could take advantage of Herbert. Uh, Justin Herbert, what he did in his rookie season, right? Capitalize on that. So guys like Brian Dable, Arthur Smith, um, were, were, I think at two of the top, Eric Bieniemy as well was thrown in there. Um, I know they even interviewed like Jason Garrett at one point, which is just kind of gross to think about. Like, I know he was just fired by the Giants today, but like, that's a horrendous memory to think about, like something that almost happened. But anyway, so we land with Brandon Staley and very questionable, right? Like he had one good year with the the Rams, excuse me. And, you know, that speaks for something, the number one defense in the NFL, but he's five years removed from a division three school. Yep. Right. Two years removed from just being a coordinator and only like a third year as coordinator or four or a second year, something along those lines, just a few years. And now all of a sudden he's a head coach. So like expectations, I couldn't say immediately were like super high, you know. Um, but then as the season or as the offseason progressed, we finally got to meet Brandon Staley. And this is when um, the media and everything was still uh, distanced because of the pandemic. And so it was Zoom, which me being a remote uh, beat writer, I guess, um, I was able to get in on these press conferences. And so we got to speak with Brandon Staley and we got to get to know him. And I think one of the first things that we, I, at least it stood out to me, was that this guy is genuine. And I, I really mean that, like, I really think there's a difference between, like, just regular people and, yeah. you know, who are kind of doing their job and, like, genuine, where you know this is them. This isn't, um, like... I always compare him to like Anthony Lynn and Mike McCoy and all these coaches before him uh, were very heavy on coach speak. They were just kind of like talking to us because we, they knew they just had to talk to us at some point, you know, at different points during the week. And so they just got good at like how coming and going, getting that to come and go. Mm -hmm. And with Staley, like he, you know, he wants to get to know everybody on these press calls or just part of the press who's going to be speaking with him. He makes sure to at one point tell or say everyone's first name at one point when they're speaking, when he's answering these questions to basically just this connection um, to solidify it. And he does a really good job of, of not, you know, using coach speak and speaking to us like we actually know what we're talking about, because for the most part, I like to think we, we do, you know, like we're not just um, a writer who happens to be covering football. Like normally it's because we care about football. Um, we know football. And so when we ask these questions, like legitimate questions, not just like, how are you feeling coach? And then he just says, Oh, you know, we're fine. We're coming off a loss, coming off a win, whatever. You know, we ask about certain formations, play calling tendencies, mindset behind certain situations in the game of football. And he's just answering these questions um, like he would anybody else. And he just has a good way of going about it. Um, and I, that's so refreshing. It's so incredibly refreshing. And, you know, after that whole rant, because I love brand series, if you can't tell already, um, it, I mean, the, the success, the results speak for themselves. The team six and four, I think easily could be maybe a game or two worse, but easily could also be several games better than that. Right. Um, you know, I, I can't argue with it. We have a winning record. We're over halfway point of the season. The playoffs are within our destiny. If we make it so, um, I can't really ask for much more than that, especially after the last 10 years honestly, of being a Chargers fan. Well, and what, one of the things that jumps out to me, and this is kind of something that really stands out between like the difference between where the Broncos are at and at five and five, they're, you know, right in the same ballpark. But at the same time, the Chargers, their losses are, you guys lost to the Ravens, lost to the Cowboys, lost to the Patriots, and lost to the oh, snap. Vikings. Vikings, yeah. Four playoff teams or four teams potentially in the playoff hunt. 
um, all healthy, like remotely healthy, pretty close to healthy. Whereas you look at the Broncos five losses, they've, they've lost to teams that are like, again, I've already mentioned this, but the Raiders in their dysfunction, kind of like what's kind of going on. The Browns were starting case Keenum. And then you kind of like, it makes you kind of look back at the Broncos wins and it kind of makes you start to question them. The Broncos, honestly, the only real big victory they've had is over the Cowboys. And again, like I'm not complaining, like I'm happy for it, but they caught the Cowboys. Dak was coming back from an injury. They had just switched their tackles. So like there's kind of disruption. So the general feel for the Broncos, even though this is, this is their best start through 10 games since 2016, but the general vibe in Broncos country is like, blow it all up, fire everybody. We're not going anywhere. It doesn't matter. And a big part of that is because of the schedule, like because Denver hasn't actually played the toughest part of their schedule yet. And they're five and five. It feels like they're a lot worse than they are. Um, and again, like I'll take it, like I'll take five and five, but they definitely should be like seven and three or six and four. Um, so like to hear it from your perspective. And again, you guys have already beaten the chiefs. You guys have beaten the Raiders. Like you guys are in pretty good shape in terms of like the division race. Meanwhile, Denver basically has to beat everybody to, you know, kind of get back into it. Um, which kind of brings us to this game. Like for the Broncos, I feel like this is a must win game. Uh, I don't know if necessarily that is true for you guys. Yeah, I would, uh, for sure this past Sunday night game against the Steelers, it was a must win because they were losers of three or four, yeah. um, after starting the year four and one and to drop to five and five to where it evens the charters up with a bunch of other people still trying to punch their way up. Right. Um, and I would say this game honestly isn't that much less of a must win. Honestly, I know they're two and all in the division that looks really good, but I know just how, I think we all know just how competitive this division is. I know the chiefs have run the gambit for the most part over the last five years or so, but if you've watched every single AFC divisional game, you know, the Broncos put up a fight quite often against the chiefs. The Chargers have been putting up good fights. The Raiders have been putting up good fights. It's just, all three of these other teams haven't been able to consistently get over that final hump to down the chiefs. Um, and so when, the, when either of these teams are not playing, the chiefs are playing each other. They're also very competitive. So like as bad as some people may think the Broncos are, and as some, as good as some people may think the Chargers are, the Chargers could easily go into Denver and get humbled because honestly, if you just look at their losses, right? Ravens, Patriots, Vikings, just most recently, those are all coached by really good, notable defensive head coaches. Yeah. And those coaches were able to exploit the biggest things on the Chargers. And I'm sure we'll go over matchups here um, later in the pod. But, like, they saw an issue that they can exploit. And once the Ravens did it, the Patriots kind of did the same exact thing. And then the Vikings did the same exact thing. Now, I'd say the Chargers' run defenses looked a little bit better. But for the most part, all those teams won the possession of time battle and kept the ball out of Justin Herbert's hands. And when Justin Herbert did have the ball, they were disruptive enough to leave them without points or settling for field goals. Mm -hmm. So honestly, I think this division is just so close and up in the air at this point. I know the Chiefs are at the top, but like, I still think anything can happen. Music to my ears. I'll be honest. I'm not trying. I don't want to be a homer. Like, that's just real. We've seen this story before and how, this whole thing can just like flip flop on its head. 
I guess, beneath the Chiefs in recent years. But, like, I think the Chiefs could easily still screw up. They play the right team. They still got two games against the Broncos, two games or one game against the Chargers, and so on and so forth. The number one matchup that I think favors the Broncos in this game is the fact that, and again, correct me if I'm wrong, but it looks like Storm mm-hmm. Norton and Michael Schofield are going to be the right guard and right tackle. Uh, yeah. Neither one of them in the tape I've watched have really impressed me. Uh, and the Broncos, and again, we're recording this on Tuesday, guys. So like if this changes, you know, I apologize. It looks like Bradley Chubb may be able to play. Uh, if that happens, the Broncos may suddenly have an edge rusher uh, because right now their edge rush is extremely dependent on rookie seventh round pick Jonathan Cooper. On the other side, Malik Reed has kind of been invisible for the better part of the year, which has led to a lot of blitzing. And again, Fangio is really good at dialing up stunts in games, but because of the injuries to the linebacker core, they don't really have a, a linebacker who can win as a blitzer unless Baron Browning's playing. So that has probably been the Broncos' biggest issue so far this year is they just don't have a consistent – they don't have any consistency from the second level uh, just because of all the injuries. But would would you say that that's probably the biggest weakness uh, on the Chargers' offense? Yeah, I would say so. I, I think, again, looking at the losses, uh, Ravens exploited it. Uh, Patriots, of course, a Bill Belichick coach defense. I would have passed out if he had not – specifically targeted uh, the right side of the offensive line. I was actually just trying to figure out where Brian Bulaga is this season. Like as a former Hawkeye myself, you know, Brian Bulaga went to Iowa. I'm like, wait a minute, we signed him last year. I know he barely played. We haven't seen him since halftime of the week one. Where's Brian Bulaga? Well, it turns out a month ago he had core surgery. And instead of getting a timetable, there was none. He's just indefinitely out for the year. And so I'm like, oh, so Storm Norton like really is our right tackle right now. And with Ode Abushi uh, tearing his ACL some weeks ago, uh, Michael Schofield is now the starting right guard. And like, you just have to assume that's the case, right? Yeah. So the right side of the offensive line is weak. It's just going to be that way for the rest of the season. So that's where everyone should exploit. And with Bradley Chubb, like you said, if he comes back, he's got a really good matchup against Storm Norton. And now this is a guy who's 6'8", but unlike a uh, Trent Brown with the Patriots, uh, he has no mass for the most part. And this is like, He's he's very rail thin up top for uh, you know a six eight three hundred ten offensive or three hundred ten pound offensive lineman, and he just struggles, man. Like uh, against everybody. I mean, honestly, if you have any sort of like decent athlete at edge rusher, uh, he's gonna get taken advantage of. And I think uh, Fangio probably already knows this, but like run some games, run some stunts, pick the guard to the tackle, um, get guys open that way, and usually that's a quick way to get into Justin Herbert's lap. The other matchup, obviously, is Schofield. Um, and and this could be like I keep I I've been thinking about it for you know the last couple of days of how does Denver win this game? And that is the first thing is Storm Norton. Obviously, they have to take advantage of him. But Schofield obviously is kind of the other one. And obviously, playing inside, he's not going to give up as many like really obvious losses. But having an issue at guard does show up. Obviously, Denver has a similar issue with Lloyd Cushenberry. Uh, but Denver has Draymond Jones, Shelby Harris. Like they have some gap shooters at defensive tackle. This could be the game that they finally kind of like blow up. Uh, if if things kind of roll their direction, uh, obviously they have to kind of force Herbert into passing downs to do it. Uh, but I kind of like their chances there if that happens. Um, and then as far as like when when the Chargers go into like must pass mode. 
Austin Eckler is not really the guy you want staying back to block. Like he's, and again, like he's not terrible at it, but he's, he's similar to like Philip Lindsay back in the day in terms of, he just doesn't really have the mass. So you're better off sending him out into a route than asking him to try and chip somebody. Yeah, I'd agree with you there. Uh, I think Eckler is actually a much stronger player than yeah. Lindsay. Oh, was, yeah, yeah. I, I just meant like, yeah, yeah, sorry. No, you're, you're totally correct. Like, it's not so much like, even if you just go off, don't go off, you know, who's just better in pass protection. Like Austin Eckler is way too valuable as an offensive weapon for the Chargers to be stuck pass blocking. Yeah. Now I will point out to his awesome cut block of, I think it was either Sutton or was a slot defender of the Steelers on Sunday night before Herbert hit the streaking Mike Williams, flipped the guy over head over heels um, with his block. That's phenomenal. But like, yeah, to your point, Eckler, if he's on the field more than likely isn't going to be used as a pass blocker all that much. If, if you know, the Broncos begin to show pressure and even to a point he'd only try to help storm Norton because Rashawn Slater's actually already said to Eckler, like, don't chip for me because it actually throws him off. And I think one of the, I think he was uh, given two sacks allowed against the Browns, but like one of them was literally because Austin Eckler hit Garrett to like a, away from Slater and stuff like that. So, uh, you are correct. Um, I, that's got to be the area for them to exploit. And honestly, I'm glad you brought up Shelby Harris because this is a guy who I've come to love out of respect because he always seems to, to rise up against the Chargers, honestly. I just feel like he he's just there and he's making plays. And every time we play the Broncos, I always leave thinking like, damn, like Shelby Harris just – He's always making plays. That's it. You know, and I thought when he would, I think he was a free agent. It was this past offseason, right? Yep. Before the team re-signed him? Or was that two weeks? Whatever uh, it was. It was, it was two th- yeah, it was, it was going into 2020, and then they re-signed him before he hit free agency this year. But but yeah, I was surprised his market was so low. Just because, again, yeah. he, he, he does a good job getting his hand on balls. And that is actually something that I'm expecting to see. Because Herbert's actually, for how tall Herbert is, he's had a few passes batted this year. Too many, too many for a guy who's six six. I'll be totally honest. It's like it now. It's been once a game for I don't know how long, but there's at least one time where he gets a ball batted. And what was so frustrating against the Steelers is the guy who batted the pass down was Isaiah Bugs. And I don't know if you know Isaiah Bugs, but he's like barely six two. Yep, it's a very undersized defensive tackle, hybrid player for Bama back in the day. And I don't, yeah, I don't think he's even six two. So the fact that he was able to jump up and bat down a Herbert pass was just super infuriating. And so at some point as Herbert, you're like, I'm too tall for this to be happening. And if, I, you know, if there's something I can do to make these passes, like I might be more aware of like who might jump up and how to make these passes or these, uh, you know, these completions do it. But yeah, it's been way too much for a guy who's six six. So you mentioned Slater and I want to touch on him just because, because Denver's pass rush is right now so dependent on Jonathan Cooper, I kind of hope the Broncos flip them and then have Cooper going off against Norton if if Chubb isn't healthy, if only because I expect Slater to basically erase whoever is rushing against him. Yeah, Slater has been a stalwart in pass protection this year. Um, some people even think he's like, oh, let's say some offensive line aficionados on, on Twitter. For any of you guys listening, you know, like Duke Manyweather, Jeff Schwartz, Brandon Thorne, a lot of these guys who do um, big time offensive line stuff. I mean, their opinions are that like he's one of the best in the NFL right now and yep. is even playing maybe like an all pro, definitely a pro bowler. Um, he's been absolutely phenomenal. Uh, I think his pass protection grade is a little bit higher than his run blocking grade, but I think he's a top 10 tackle in the NFL. Um, and if you look at a lot of the pass block, uh, run block grades on pro football focus, 
a lot of these top 10 tackles have like a much higher pass block than a run block or vice versa, while Slater's are actually pretty close to each other. And I think that's really cool for him to be that high and doesn't have like one skewed in a direction that like helps raise his grade or something along those lines. So he's been honestly phenomenal. Him and Matt Filer at left guard have been such a good tag team for, for uh, the ground game when they're running to the left side. But overall, man, like I cannot believe how much of a home run pick he was. And the Chargers, Lord knows they needed it because they've had such bad luck with the offensive linemen. Touching on Brian Balaga just for a second. Like I thought that signing was good. Uh, honestly, it just hasn't, it just hasn't worked out. Uh, but no, he's, yeah, sorry, just interrupt you. Oh, yeah. One of the things I thought that was uh, interesting when they signed Belaga, you go back and you're like, man, this guy's missed a lot of games. Um, and I was, I would have put money on him having an injury and like missing time like he is because he ha- he was like a little bit of a roller coaster. Whenever he would tear an ACL or have like a season ending injury, he'd come back to play almost the entire season, if not the whole season. And I think he's only played two full 16 game seasons in his career. And I think. Both of them were after ACL tears, but then like he's healthy again and he's good. And then like the next year he misses some games and then the next year he misses like almost the whole season mm-hmm. and then it like reverses itself. So he was coming off an ACL tear in his final year with Green Bay and played like the entire season. And then in his first year with the Chargers, he plays like half the year. And then you see this year he hasn't played at all, but a half. Mm-hmm. So it's just like mind numbingly frustrating, you know, and again, as a, I was like, yes, a Hawkeye. Like, let's go. He's on the Chargers now. And unfortunately, like, he might as well not even be on the team at this point. I know. And again, like, there are people who basically are saying the same thing about Bradley Chubb right now because he's played 19 snaps this year. uh, And he's been hurt quite a bit. A little different just because he has had that rookie year and he did play quite a bit last year, but. But yeah, it's it's a similar situation just in terms of like you don't really know what we're gonna get from him down the back half of the year. Broncos desperately need him, so it's kind of you know hope he's hope he's healthy. Uh, so anyway, one other big matchup that I think is kind of like gotta touch on is the fact that Chargers actually have a pretty scary receiving core. Uh, people kind of fall asleep on them just because they don't have like a prima donna like a DeAndre Hopkins or a Julio where it's just like oh my god. Keenan Allen is probably one of the best route runners in football. And then Mike Williams is a freak in terms of he's six foot five, but he moves like somebody who's like six foot. Uh, I will. I want to, I want to mention that like Bryce Callahan's pick last year may go down as one of my favorite interceptions ever, just because Bryce Callahan's like five foot eight on a good day mm-hmm. and picked off on, Bre- on Mike Williams. But, but like that was, you know, just a freaky play. Like most of the time he goes up and he wins those kind of plays but those two are going to be an issue because Denver, I mean, Denver's starting rookie Patrick Sertan, who's been quite good, but still like mm. he hasn't played anybody like Keenan Allen yet. And Ronald Darby and Ronald Darby can get bodied by a guy like Mike Williams. And then when it comes to the tight ends, you guys have Donald Parham, who's like six foot eight. Oh yeah. Like a true six, eight. Yeah. yeah. He's gigantic. And then Jared cook. And I, I, I know that he, they both had a couple, like some drops in the Steelers game, but on the year, like, they're pretty good. And again, the Broncos issues at linebacker, that's an easy way to create mismatches with those two. You're exactly correct. And man, I'm glad you brought up Donald Parham because this is a guy that, um, so I just quick story. I went to, I played one year of Drake football or football at Drake university before I finished at the university of Iowa and my freshman year at Drake, 
um, Stetson University just joined our conference. Cool. And that is the school that Donald Parham played at in college. And so I unfortunately wasn't there when we played uh, Stetson. So I never actually got to see him in person. But I think that's really cool coming from you know that small time college conference. Uh, but again, a true 6'8". And I just knew that when the Chargers signed him, this guy was going to be potentially a steal, a diamond in the rough, something, man. This is a guy who's tall, but like can actually move and is athletic and isn't like awkward, you know, like trying to learn his body at this stage of his athletic career. And as a uh, his first year with the Chargers last season, he had some really cool touchdowns. He had, um, you know, he skied over some linebackers for two of his scores. One touchdown, I remember, it was the final game of the year against the Chiefs where he like caught a pass into this really smooth sidestep and walked into the end zone untouched. And he's done like that several times this year. I think he has three touchdowns and he's always good for like one or two first down or like third down conversions to move the chains. And so he's as solid as it gets. Uh, you brought up Jared Cook. Donald Parham had the one drop, but that's very uncharacteristic of him, honestly, uh, especially this season. Cook has had some drops before the Steelers game, had another one that almost honestly killed some momentum, potentially would have uh, led to the Chargers losing uh, on Sunday night. So I like him. I think he's a good fit for this offense. He just needs to be a little more sure-handed. Um, these tight ends are good, man. And then you, original point is you brought up the receivers. Well, Keenan Allen, I agree, one of the best route runners in the NFL. Um, for whatever reason, I don't know if he signed a deal with the devil to have some great route running, but no touchdown production, because that's also kind of been his thing, right? He's only got two touchdowns on the year. Um, he's had eight touchdowns last year. And as a rookie in between that, he never had more than six. Uh, he had six exactly three years in a row, which is the weirdest consistency, but, uh, but he's good, man. He's finally back to wide receiver one after Mike Williams, small breakout to begin the season. And after Mike Williams exploded right to begin the year, he kind of cooled off during the Chargers rough patch. And then recently had a big game against the Steelers, 97 yards, a 53 yard touchdown obviously makes that day look a lot better. But the biggest thing that I think Mike Williams is proving to all of us is that um, he's not just the run a go route, jump ball, hopefully catch it, uh, you know, between two guys type of receiver, right? He is a big 50, 50 ball guy, but this new coaching staff is treating him like an actual complete well-rounded wide receiver. Mm -hmm. They said that Williams would be playing the Michael Thomas role, you know, referring to how new Orleans has used Michael Thomas the past couple of years, which is a much more of a short to intermediate long, like full route tree. And I think it's paying off. I, I think he's too big and physically gifted of a receiver to just be a one trick pony. And so this year they've done a really good job of finding the ball or getting the ball to him. Um, whether it's an RPO, whether it is on um, well-designed uh, fade routes. I know fade routes are kind of iffy in the red zone. It's not like a big uh, love of them recently, statistics-wise. The analytics don't point to. Um, but in general, they've got good height. And I think, as you mentioned, like they can body some people. And I think they need to really lean on that, especially if they're going to be playing a smaller secondary. And so the Chargers... Honestly, in this way, the Broncos and the Chargers are kind of a mirror of each other. The Chargers play, I want to say, a, somewhere between 80 and 90% of their snaps out of 11 or 12 personnel. So we're going to see a lot of Parham and Cook and then Williams Allen. Who who do you expect them to use quite a bit as that third receiver? Because for me, now that Bryce Callen's out for the year, that's actually a big concern because the Broncos will probably play Kyle Fuller. Kyle Fuller looked okay as a slot the last two games. But back when he was playing on the boundary, he played so poorly, he got benched. Like, that's 
what led to Patrick Sertan getting inserted into left corner? Uh, because Fuller basically he can't run like deep downfield. So that is something I I'm kind of leery of Lombardi trying to do is dialing up isolation against Fuller in the slot. Uh, and you guys have some speed there. Yeah, no, we have uh we have Jalen Guyton at yep. uh, wide receiver three, but I'll tell you what, for whatever reason, and I knew the offense was going to be different than it was a year ago. Of course, new coaching staff, they were going to build the offense around Herbert. And one of those things you thought they were they would at least keep is the consistency of throwing the ball deep on some of these max protection, deep posts, deep crossing routes. Um, and Guyton, excuse me, was going to be that guy, especially when they waived Teron Johnson, who looked pretty good this preseason some for whatever reason, um, to keep Guyton. And Guyton honestly hasn't done much of anything. He, he's been pretty invisible. And rookie Joshua Palmer, um, a third-round pick out of Tennessee, has looked honestly every bit the part of a receiver who can find success in the NFL. He's obviously just relegated to um, backup duty behind Williams and, and Allen. But when he's gotten a chance, man, he's looked really good. If you want to talk about like a practice All-American, like that's the guy. He looks so good in drills, footwork. Um, and when he's getting a chance, he looks great. So honestly, I don't think Broncos fans should be like super worried about the wide receiver cool. three. Cool. I think like Cook and Parham are going to be your third pass catchers. Uh, honestly, I would probably put Austin Eckler as your third pass catcher, but he's going to be in the back backfield. You don't need to worry about that. But like Cook and Parham are going to be your next two guys behind Williams and Allen, at least that are going to be flexor on the outside or in the slot. Um, so if anything – you said Bryce Callahan is hurt, if yeah. I heard that right, or yep. is he? No, he's okay, out. So he's out for the year. You get a, a six-five, or you have a six-eight pass catcher uh, running one of the slots. So hopefully, there's a defender to do that. If you guys do not have, you know, a run and chase coverage linebacker, it might be a, a rough day in that area. I don't know if Simmons is a guy who normally comes down or tries to defend the slot sometimes, depending on who is there. But I would hope Broncos fans should hope there's someone with some height. A little bit of talent uh, to go up against Cooker Parham, and yeah, that's definitely that's definitely one of the reasons why it's a concern for me is just because uh, they they will use Simmons or or Jackson to kind of come down and help, uh, depending on what the coverage call is. Like when they're calling quarters, they'll pick it up, uh, stuff like that, or they'll cut the cross, like they'll cut the crosser. But I mean, Jackson's five nine, uh, and again, Simmons is pretty tall, but it's definitely a concern because this is. This could be a good game for Kenny Young to prove that he deserves that next contract to stick around in Denver. Uh, just because I know the the vibe and the narrative is that, you know, he's more athletic than Alexander Johnson, Josie Jewell, and he has the tools to be a coverage guy. I know in Madden, he's good at coverage. Obviously, in real life, this isn't, you know, it's a little different. So, but this is a good game. This is an opportunity for him to prove that, you know, this is a good fit for him. What do you expect Joe Lombardi to do in this game uh kind of knowing knowing what we know about the fangio defense because again the, the systems are going to be pretty similar there's a lot of overlap uh the broncos do blitz a little bit more than the chargers just because they don't have the pass rush right now and then the secondary is a little bit different just in terms of like the makeup but in terms of schematically and stuff like they, they run a very similar system uh what do you expect lombardi to do to try and attack it yeah so if they're fairly similar as one would assume so I'll, I'll just i mean i ask you like yeah. the broncos have a high rate of two man right yes okay so 
before the Steelers game, there was a lot of talk on my timeline about uh, the Chargers' lack of being able to beat man coverage. Like, they just aren't able to have a high success rate. Um, and so we were talking about, like, well, how are they going to do it? And in my head, I'm just like, man, they just need to play play it the way I play Madden, which is run double crossers and mesh concepts and just pick the one that the middle defender, middle linebacker does not pick, right? Mm-hmm. And against the Steelers, it seemed like the Chargers were doing something similar because whenever um, the routes would clear, Justin Herbert would maybe see that and then he would run for, you know, a million yards. Yeah. And because that middle was just completely wide open. And so whatever they were running was, was a clear route of some sort to take the middle defender out. Now, that is how I would try to attack this this Broncos defense then, because it sounds like there's, there's injuries, right? I may be mistaken, but Josie Jewell's out. Yeah. Alexander Johnson is not healthy right now as well. So Alexander Johnson's also been a terror for the Chargers yes. uh, in recent years. Josie Jewell's always been solid. So, okay, immediately, there's injuries to this position group that uh, has terrorized the Chargers for some years now. So let's take advantage of the guys who are playing. So what's it going to be? It's going to be option routes for – uh, Austin Eckler out of the backfield. I think we're going to find uh, some seam routes to uh, Cook or Parham uh, to take advantage. Again, make one of these linebackers try to guard one of them. And then again, mesh concepts. Mesh sit is one of my favorites. I saw the Chargers running it early on against the Steelers. So double crossers with then the one who's going to post up over the middle. Um, so once those middle second layer defenders run with their crossers, you're just going to have um, the receiver sitting there, hopefully in front of the safety for an easy ball. So stuff like that. I would just do a lot of man beating stuff, which again, mesh crossers, double crossers and stuff like that is just super easy. Well, one of the other concerns too, the Broncos have been running a lot of man and man match. And one of the issues with that, and this ran, they ran into this against the Eagles is it exposes the fact that at that point, then the front is basically entirely responsible for quarterback running. And we just saw Herbert do this against the Steelers for what was it? 90 yards. Yep. So mm-hmm. people, people see him and, you know, you see the arm talent, you see, you know, that you can win as a passer and you kind of sleep on how athletic he is, but he's a four or five athlete. Like this guy can run. No, exactly. And I mean, for those of you listening, cause I didn't know it until it was pointed out to me, but like Justin Herbert made history with what he did against the Steelers, the first quarterback ever to throw for three fifty and rush for 90 plus yards in a game which is incredible and i'm not going to sit here and tell you like yeah this is justin herbert like this is what he's going to come out and do every single game i'll never say that but i will tell you that if i think the peak or like the standard that justin herbert can set for himself and for like his career going forward is a quarterback that like helps his team move the ball down the field in this manner where um yes he can do it with his arm but like he is as, as athletic if not more athletic than a patrick mahomes um, and he can move the ball the same way that, like, not obviously the same way as Lamar Jackson, Kyler Murray, but a guy who can use his feet. Um, and that's incredibly frustrating for defenses. The Broncos, all of you have seen or played against Patrick Mahomes where it's like, here's a sack. Okay, they missed the sack, but he's not going to get this first down. Oh, nobody can chase him down for some reason, so he gets that first down. And it's like, oh, but we worked so hard to get him in third down. But, like, oh, well, he's just, you know, athletic enough to do that. So this is a level that I think Justin Herbert can maintain to a degree of uh helping his offense which is like you know throw for 280 to 300 plus a game um and then rush for maybe like 30 to 40 but those yards are basically just like yeah let's just move the chains you know and those things just kind of add up when he's able to take advantage of so you know i think i don't i'm not going to say he's going to go out and have a repeat performance but 
yeah, I would be worried that like Herbert's maybe found a little bit of a groove, like a, like a light bulb went off and said, Oh, I can do that. Mm -hmm. And so he may just, just do it. I call those the little brother plays just because in Madden, I'll, I'll kick my brother's ass. And then all of a sudden I'm paying perfect coverage and he just runs for six yards to get the first or to get the six, you know, get the six. And it's like, you know what though? I feel like I won because you had to run with your quarterback to mm-hmm. beat me. And he's like, well, oh, but I beat you. But, uh, the one, the one thing you didn't, Madden. yeah. The one, one thing you didn't mention that I want to bring up, uh, is the running game yep. because the Broncos run mm-hmm. defense basically since Alexander Johnson got hurt, their run defense has been kind of a sieve. Uh, mm-hmm. Baron Browning in the Dallas game played well enough that it made a difference. Uh, it also helped again that they switched their tackles and that Ezekiel Elliott got hurt in the game, but the run defense has been a problem. And, and again, the Eagles Eagles are kind of an anonymous anomaly in terms of the fact that they can just run down your throat and they'll run QB read. So I don't expect that, but the chargers can run the ball. Yeah. I, uh, I think they found more success as of late running the football, but I don't think it's really what the Chargers want to do. Yeah, they they want the run game to be an extension of the rest of their offense because Brandon Staley is a big proponent of the physical factor that comes with running the football. Like regardless if you're really gashing an opponent, there's a level of dominance that you can only try to put on your opponent when you're running the football, right? Like I know pass protection isn't passive, but like it's not the same as like trying to move your man from point A to point B against as well. So the Chargers are going to try to run the football against the Steelers. They weren't amazing at running the football, but when it mattered most, which was inside the 20, they made it happen, right? They had some really good blocked runs for Austin Eckler's obviously scored twice on the ground. um, And it was perfect. So expect the Chargers to try to run the football, but this isn't like uh, Austin Eckler is not a pushing hundred yards, every single outing type athlete type running back in general. He's a hundred total yards each game, but you're looking at like between 50 and 60 yards on the ground with hopefully like a, a pretty healthy clip um, per tote average, but like he's going to get most of his yards through the air. So expect still a little bit of Larry Roundtree, um, a little bit of Justin Jackson, but so far this season, the running back two has been a huge hole for the chargers. Like really the, the talent level, the production drop off from Eckler to anybody behind him is almost non-existent because there's no stats. They don't do anything. Unfortunately, they're averaging like two yards per carry. It is pretty horrendous. Um, but in general, maybe fear the run a little bit because they have shown, I think he has two games over, um, hundred yards rushing this year, but against the Vic Fangio defense, I understand that the, the run run defense might be a little lackluster at the moment, but this isn't a game where you should fear like the running game is going to push the chargers to a victory. It might help, but like, it's not the biggest thing that you should worry about. The other part of that too is, and again, the Staley defense is like this too is that they're both designed to essentially try and bait opponents into running the ball too much. But Staley's also smart enough to not do that. So this isn't one of those games where you can kind of get ahead of them because they're just uh, Bill O'Brien, the Texans game two years ago, the Broncos won back in 2019. A big part of that, that kind of goes under, you know, under the radar was Bill O'Brien had to like, quote unquote, establish the run. And he was running the ball when Deshaun Watson was the one having success and it, it helped the Broncos get out to a lead. So neither here nor there, but yeah. So it's good to know moving to the other side of the ball. And this is the side of the ball where I think the Broncos could kind of kind of surprise uh, just because and it kind of comes down to what Shermer does really. First off, Garrett bull status is going to be a big concern. Uh, it looks like he's not going to play. Uh, he's on the COVID list. 
He is vaccinated, so if two negative tests, he might be in the clear. Again, we're recording on Tuesday, so we don't know it as of right now, but it does look like he will miss the game if that's the case. Calvin Anderson will play at left tackle. Last I've heard, there is a chance that Bobby Massey plays. He's the right tackle. If he does not play, Cameron Fleming lines up at right tackle. That's obviously a huge concern just because Joey Bosa. Regardless of what happens at tackle, though, the Broncos could try and kind of get around that issue altogether and just run the ball as much as they can. The Chargers have had a lot of trouble stopping the run on the year. I know they've improved lately, but that's still probably the easiest way to move the ball on them. Yeah, I mean, until they're not the league's worst rushing defense, like you got to admit that, right? Like it probably is the easiest. Um, they had a, a good performance against the Vikings. I think uh, overall that team averaged 3.1 yards per carry. And yeah. I actually think that was the mark as well against the Steelers. So um, the Vikings still got over 100 yards. I think it was like 103 or 106 around there. But I mean, it was just 103. It was just you know, that many yards uh, because a couple weeks ago they were averaging an allowance of 160 something plus. Uh, now they're down to 145, which obviously like there's your improvement, right? I think it was 58 yards allowed total against the Steelers. Um, so yes, there is improvement, but honestly, if you look at the backs, Melvin Gordon, Javante Williams, who I, I love, I think he's a heck of a running back, um, both well over 500 yards on the year. I don't see how the Broncos look at this matchup and go, well, Linval Joseph is on the COVID list and he's unvaccinated and he tested positive, which I don't know if has officially been reported from what I've seen, though. He was a positive test, which means that's 10 days minimum. He will not play against the Broncos. There's a chance that the team gets back Jerry Tillery and Christian Covington. I believe both were just close contacts. No, excuse me. Tillery was a positive, but is vaccinated. Christian Covington is vaccinated, close contact. So I think there's a chance both return, but I'm not going to sit here and tell you that they make like the biggest difference in the world. Yeah. Jerry Tillery has honestly been one of the biggest busts of the first round from two years ago in 2019. Um, he's consistently one of the lowest graded defensive tackles. I don't care if it's pass rush or uh, in the run game. Christian Covington is fine. I think he's a hard worker. He does his job well, but he's not going to make a bunch of splash plays. But honestly, if you look at, the performance against the Steelers, the young guys like Braden Fajoko, who started at nose, Joe Gaziano, who was an edge rusher at uh, Northwestern, but has put on a little weight. And I always thought he was a tweener. And he, he can play one of those three tacks. Forrest Mer Merrill, excuse me, another nose uh, undrafted free agent we signed this year. These young guys really showed energy and then motor against the Steelers. And we showed, or they showed us that they can stop the run. I mean, Najee Harris is not a bad running back. That offensive line really isn't that bad for the Steelers, um, although it is new and with some younger players. So I, I, despite all of this, I like where the Chargers defensive line is now. I like the young players stepping up. But yes, the easiest way to probably play keep away and to follow the same recipe as the Ravens, the Patriots, the Vikings would be to run the football on Sunday. And one of the things to that, the, the Broncos – the Broncos running game has been really weird this year in terms of just the first three games when the Broncos went three and zero, they were having very little success running the ball. They had the 70 yard touchdown in the giants game where Melvin Gordon, you know, just broke free. But other than that, I want to say they were averaging something like 3.1 yards of carry during that stretch. Uh, Javante Williams had some nice plays, but like outside of his nice plays, he was struggling a lot. Uh, his vision and stuff has, has really kind of taken a turn the last couple of games. He's looked a lot better. 
And his contact balance is what really makes him, to me, like, it wouldn't surprise me if over the last seven games he starts to really kind of, like, take control of this position. Because right now it's been a 50-50 split. But he's clearly the better runner uh, at this point. Like, basically, you get him into the second or third level, and that's where the Broncos may very well find some chunk plays if they can get him past the line of scrimmage. The question is, the Broncos allow stuffs, I want to say, at one of the six or seven worst rates in football. So teams have been getting into the backfield on them a lot. But if they can avoid that, I think Javante Williams could have a really, really big day. Um, And then the other part of that that helps, and I know I mentioned this earlier, that'll protect the line from Joey Bosa quite a bit. Just because, I mean, I don't... Nothing I say is going to be new. Joey Bosa is a game wrecker, just straight up. Like, he's one of the two or three best edge rushers in football, and I'm not going to argue with you if you told me he's the best. Uh, he can do. He can win with power. He can win with technique. He can win with speed. He's going to be able to beat you, and what makes it even scarier is the Chargers are smart enough to move him boat back and forth across the line. So depending on what happens with the Broncos' tackle situation, we could see Bosa quite a bit over Cameron Fleming, which is a nightmare. Or we could see Joey Bosa against Calvin Anderson a lot, which is also kind of scary. So to me, like running the ball is the easiest way to protect that from just ruining the game. Yeah, I agree. And, uh, you know, noting on, on Bosa, something that if, you, if you've if you seen anything from the Steelers game, you may have noticed that Bosa was actually lined up inside yep. at a four-eye or three technique quite a bit. Now they tried this against the uh ravens to honestly no luck i think there was a little bit against the vikings as well but against the steelers um they had nuosu and kyler fackerel at edge rushers and a little bit of rookie chris rumpf as well but they put boza in at one of those interior positions and just let him take advantage of these inexperienced guards the steelers have and so you'd like to say well okay if calvin anderson is starting at one of the tackle spots against the Broncos, yes. Like Brandon Staley and Ronaldo Hill are smart enough to be like, yeah, Bosa, maybe you get over here for some plays and like do what you do against this guy who probably has no chance of blocking you. Yeah, but at the same time, I would also not be surprised to see him along the interior. Um, so I'm guessing, is Dalton Risner still a left guard? Yeah, I love and, and as, you, as you mentioned this, it's kind of making me, like I'm sweating at the thought of Dalton Risner against Joey Bosa because – Dalton Reisner has had a ton of issues with quickness, uh, basically going back to when he was a rookie and teams have actually taken advantage of that by like Zedarius Smith. At one point, the Packers lined up Zedarius Smith and had him rush inside uh, Ed Oliver for the bills. This year we've seen the Steelers do it. We saw the Raiders do it. Uh, they'll do it with stunts or they'll line a guy up on him. And it's just a quick twitch. Cause he's, and again, I like Joe. I like Dalton Reisner quite a bit, but he's not quick footed. So like if you get him to take that one step planting out and you can have force him to try and reset, all of a sudden he's kind of grasping at air as the edge rusher gets by him. And Joey Bosa is smart enough and good enough to do that. Yeah, I have to agree. Um, I think the Chargers are realizing that moving Bosa into the interior and getting another edge rusher like Fackrell, who is number three up um, out there, creates a much more athletic front that I think they have found to have more success with than having Jerry Tillery, Justin Jones, Linval out there with Bosa at an edge or uh, and Nuoso on the other side. Uh, Bosa hasn't been like super duper productive this year. I mean, six and a half sacks. He's actually like weirdly behind in tackles for loss. And I think that's mostly because he's playing out on a like a like a more of a three, four outside linebacker edge role instead of a hand in the dirt, four, three base end. So I'm not surprised that his tackles for loss aren't as high because he's like 
you know, a third of his snaps or like at least on rare occasions, he's out actually like covering someone mm-hmm. in the flat or something like that. So, but either way, like he's still able to affect games. And I think the Chargers are realizing when they need to really get after the quarterback, the best is just to maximize, maximize, excuse me, athleticism up front. And that means putting him in the interior and letting him go to work. Yeah, no, that's definitely a concern. Cause then on the, on the right guard spot, it's going to be Quinn Miners, And then, and I've already mentioned Lloyd Cushenberry, but yeah, Lloyd Cushenberry in the middle, he's improved this year, but he still has a lot of problems with his anchor. Uh, so stunts where you can get him isolated, you know, one-on-one where somebody kind of bull rushing him, he ends up in the backfield quite a bit, uh, so much so that it is an issue when the Broncos run the ball. That's a big part of the stuffs. And then also like there's times where he ends up basically on Ty Bridgewater's lap. So definitely a concern. I will point out, I will point out that. He didn't end up grading well, according to PFF, but uh, Forrest Merrill, who was a rookie UDFA we signed out of Arkansas State, he had a play where he got up underneath Kendrick Green, the Steelers center, and almost walked him back instantly into the lap of Big Ben and actually like went for a sack, but Big Ben let it go. And Merrill pretty much fell like his hands raised because he knew he was going to land and hit Ben, but he wanted to make sure you know, he didn't get a penalty. But Kendrick Green squats over 700 pounds. He is by no means um, a weak player comparatively to the rest of the uh, you know, NFL offensive line. Very strong, very low center gravity. But Forrest Merrill is like six foot even and 310 pounds and just the stockiest dude you've ever seen. So if Lloyd Cushenberry struggles with his anchor, he might get caught one of those snaps if he's facing Merrill and Merrill maybe knows this and just tries to obviously go. Um, he ho under Cushenberry. Fahoko, if Linval can't go, Fahoko, who isn't a pass rusher by any means, is probably going to start, but Merrill is going to rotate in. Yep, now I'm definitely sweating that matchup. So, <laughs> uh, the, the other part of the defense, obviously, is the pass defense. And the Chargers, the Staley defense is designed like Fangio's to cap big plays. Uh, they, mm-hmm. They're willing to make you kind of march the slow death march down the field to beat them. So they'll, they'll allow short completions. If it means that you have to do it, you know, a hundred times, uh, at the same time though, when I've looked at the numbers, y'all are pretty damn good against basically every receiver type, except for wide receiver ones have had some success. But I mean, again, this is like short passing game is how they're doing it. Uh, I want to say you guys are seventh against deep passes by DVOA. Uh, and the, yeah, basically in every direction, you guys are in a top 12 team. Uh, the two individual matchups that look like they're having success. I mentioned wide receiver ones and then some tight ends. Tight ends are definitely kind of having, having their way here and there. Uh, could this be a good game for like Noah fan or Alberto? You know what? I wouldn't put it out there um, because I'm very aware of Noah fan and his athleticism and his talent. Albert Ho, um, massive human being, man. I really liked him coming out of Missouri as well. Uh, if you're thinking about matchups for those guys, more than likely a guy like Chris Harris is going to cover um, Noah Fant or Albert O on several occasions. Now, that's a win, I think, for, for the Broncos. Chris Harris, as you probably know, is not the same Chris Harris that he was several years ago. Yep. Um, I unfortunately think he is well over – he's like too far over the age of 30. Mm-hmm. And – he struggled with speed. He struggled with size. Um, he's made, you know, one or two plays that makes you go, okay, well, he is still kind of Chris Harris. But for the most part, he's had way more, let's just call him bad plays, than he has had good plays. Yeah. So I could easily see this being a good game for the tight end group in general. 
Um, if it's not Chris Harris defending in the slot, you're probably ending up on a linebacker. And so you've got Kaiser White, who is really playing like a man on fire this season. He seems to be a whole new different player in Staley's system. So um, I like him a ton. He's really good about uh, defending the run right now. Um, in coverage, he is a former safety, so he's got that athleticism. I just don't know if he has the same nuance that you know, like he should have uh, at the NFL level. Um, Kenneth Murray, returns are not good on him through his first you know one and a half seasons. He is uh, nowhere near a type of coverage linebacker that he should be, especially considering his absolutely elite athletic testing. Yeah, um, he's unfortunately not good at reading reads just in general, um, and he's just all he did at Oklahoma. And I talked to his linebacker coach Brian Odom at Oklahoma after. Uh, right after he was drafted. And I said, this is kind of what it looked like he did on film, like the whole time he was at Oklahoma. Is this true? And he goes, yeah, it was basically just covering the running back in the flat or covering the linebacker or the quarterback on like run reads. Mm -hmm. And I mean, I'm talking, this is it. And now I said, despite that being the case, can Kenneth Murray still cover like tight ends and like cover outside of the flat, you know, deep hooks and stuff like that. And, And he said, yes, I do believe he can. Well, it's been a year and a half. And unfortunately, we haven't seen that like at all at this point. Um, other than those two, you've got Drew Tranquil, who is another former safety turn linebacker from Notre Dame. Um, I love the energy he plays with. He's one of our best blitzers. He is phenomenal when he gets the chance to blitz. He's really good at timing the snap, has had a lot of success there. He's also pretty damn good on special teams. Um, but overall, I would say one of those two, Tranquil or Kaiser should be guarding um, the slot, either Noah or Albert O. If you see Kenneth Murray on a tight end, you're probably winning that snap. Good to know. Hopefully Teddy Bridgewater picks up on that. Kind of kind of moving to the third phase, kind of the, the forgotten phase. Um, and I think for both Broncos and Chargers fans, you want to forget this phase. Uh, the Broncos special teams have been abysmal since 2018. Basically since they hired Tom McMahon, they have been garbage. Uh, they are, they rank among the worst teams in football. They have last, last game we saw, they allowed Brandon McManus to have a field goal blocked. They have given up a 102 yard kickoff return for a touchdown. They've given up a 42 yard punt return to Devin DuVernay. They've had three punts come very close to getting blocked. Uh, they had a partial block against the jets. The Cowboys did block a punt. Uh, Draymond Jones was called for a leverage penalty in the loss to the Steelers. Uh, they're among the league leaders in penalties. And Deontay Spencer, and this is actually probably the critical part for this matchup. Deontay Spencer has been underwhelming as a returner as of this point, as of now in the season. Uh, but at the same time, like this might be like the chance for him to kind of have a breakout because the Chargers, their coverage units are kind of disappointing. Uh, they, they kind of struggle like, from what I've seen on tape, they struggle to separate from blocks and the open field tackling is kind of shaky. Um, I know the kicking has definitely gotten better since you guys signed Dustin Hopkins, but, uh, the chargers are actually one of the few special teams that are ranking below Tom McManus. Yeah, I would say the Chargers. I mean, I don't think this is like an opinion when I say this, that, um, I think the chargers have had the worst special teams yeah. This century. Yeah. Like I appreciate oh, yeah. that's a real statement. Uh, last year, last year's special teams unit in terms of DVOA for sure. Like if you just, in terms of individual unit, last year's special teams was the worst uh, division of the or, excuse me, unit of the past 20 years. Like yep. no joke. It was that bad. And yes, it has looked better this season. Darius Swinton 
um, has come over from being the assistant special teams coordinator from Arizona. Now he's our uh, full-time coordinator. And I love his energy. This guy is a phenomenal person, and I do believe he's the right guy to fix the special teams. But as it stands right now, he's working with a ton of very young, green, inexperienced players. Yeah. And we're seeing these things on film. The biggest thing the Chargers have done besides uh, landing Hopkins, taking a chance on him, because, you know, he's missed, I think, one extra point. I think he's missed one field goal. But that's pretty good when you're speaking about Chargers kickers. Yep. <laughs> now, um, Andre Roberts has been also a big deal for the Chargers return game because he gives them, like, legitimate speed and, like, veteran experience at returning. And this is a guy who's been a pro bowler. I'm not sure about all pro, but has, like, earned accolades and has led the league in return yards before. Mm -hmm. So this guy's done it, right? It's great because prior to uh, Robert signing with the Chargers, their last few punt returners, kick returners, are guys who ran like four, six, and up. Uh, oh. KJ Hill was a four, six flat coming out of Ohio State. Larry Roundtree, I believe, was like a four, five, six, or a four, six flat coming out of Missouri. Um, that's not – I don't care if you think that, like, they're good at, you know, moving and evading and shifting and whatever you want to call it. But, like, at some point you need speed yep. to return, right? Sometimes it's literally just being fast enough to turn a corner, to uh, split two defenders before they have a chance to put their hands on you. Like, speed, no matter what, will just give you an edge as opposed to, like, whether you can make a man miss or not. So the fact that Chargers were, like, trotting out and they, like, signed off on it – that these slow receivers and running backs would go back there and return kicks and punts is beyond me. It was like mind numbing how frustrating that is because it just doesn't make sense. So anyway, Andre Roberts comes in. He's done phenomenal. Um, I wouldn't say he set the world on fire, but like when the Chargers are averaging more than like five yards upon return or um, a kick returner who can get it past the 25 if they do decide to return the kick, I think it's been phenomenal. But like you're saying that the Broncos have a very bad special teams, it sounds yes. like as well. Oh, yeah. Um, I – I think this is going to be fun because you never, this game's probably going to come and go and we're going to probably have a special teams blunder to talk about on the other end of it. Who's it going to be from? I don't know. One of these teams is probably going to do it. And I think that's going to be really fun when we're watching the game and it happens and then we can go, there it is. And then the other person can text the other person and go, that sucks. You, uh, you guys, <laughs> you guys are the one to do it. That sucks. I think I say this every every week at this point that normally like in a normal like I would ideally be the guy who special teams come on like it's time to kick off. That's when I'm getting up to go get a drink or that's when I go like, you know, take a quick break to go to the bathroom or whatever. I don't do that when I'm watching the Broncos because you can't afford to because you might come back and it's a touchdown the other way. So you, you just you can't leave because they're so shaky game to game and it's basically been all season. And so, yeah, it's kind of the wild card factor in this one. It's kind of like Russian roulette. So at some point, it'll probably break one of their way. And I could definitely see kind of after this game, if, if the Chargers have the blunder, I could definitely see this being the, see, McMahon knows what he's doing. This is why we didn't fire him. Even though, you know, it's total crap. But I could definitely see that being like the narrative change kind of push uh, in this game. Um, Kind of last thing, because I know I'm keeping it. I apologize, but. It's all good. Who wins this game? Like gun to your head. I know. I know. And again, like if you're wrong, you're wrong. Like, you know, no one's going to blame you, but what, what do you think kind of goes down? Like for this game, like how, how do the char, if the chargers win it, how do they pull this out? 
So I do think the Chargers win it because just based on the fact that it, I, I believe it is a must-win game. Um, it's very necessary to stay as ahead of the division as opposed to everyone else mm-hmm. um, as much as possible. So I don't think this is going to be a shootout. Um, I just the, – the Broncos' defense and the way that they're competitive every time these two teams played, um, I think it's going to be too much. I think Herbert – I would say Herbert throws a pick, which automatically puts their chance of winning um, in jeopardy just based on, like, his the history this season. But I think they win – a close one. Let's call it 24-21. Um, that's probably wrong because we're going to expect some field goals or missed field goals. Like it just, it's never that pretty, right? It's never that that smooth of a score. Um, but I think it comes down to the Chargers having to keep the ball last and do what they did against uh, the Eagles and do what they did against the um, Washington in week one where they, they, they are able to get the ball back with, you know, a three-point lead or something along those lines. And they're just making the fourth down conversion to finish the game, run the clock out, and do it that way. It's going to be stressful from start to finish. I want to, I want to stress that point as well. Like, this game's not going to be fun to watch, probably for either of us. And it's going to come down to the wire, and then we're still going to be stressed two days later after it's over because it's just that type of game. Yeah, that's kind of what I expect, too. Uh, and I, and I agree. I think t- like 24 to 21 is kind of like my always answer whenever I think a game's going to be close, just because like, that's around the range that I think most games will end up in. If you're you know, if you, you know, barring like fluky stuff. So I'll say like, I think the Broncos can win this in a like 24, 21 type fashion. Uh, but to do so, and again, I I'm hoping they do so, but to do so, they're going to need to do the Dallas game plan on offense, basically run the ball, even if it doesn't necessarily like makes sense. Uh, there was some time early in the Dallas game where the Broncos were running on like second and 11 or third and long. And it, it, it looked terrible in terms of like analytics, but what they're doing is they're protecting the offensive line from, in this case, Joey Bosa, because Joey Bosa inside, or even just Joey Bosa teeing off against Cam Fleming in a passing situation is nightmares. So you should try and avoid that. Um, especially when Teddy Bridgewater is going to hang in the pocket to try and make something happen. And, leave himself susceptible to somebody getting to him. Uh, but they have to do that on offense. They have to kind of stay ahead of the chains where they can um, make their kicks, avoid special teams, blunders. And then defensively, they just kind of have to weather the storm and try and kind of bait Herbert into, into a miscue or two. And that, that really is what it's going to come down to, because I think obviously, I think we both agree that Herbert's the better quarterback in this game. So the Broncos have to try and figure out other ways to win and kind of steal steal points where they can and limit possession. So Herbert can't get hot. Yep. I have to agree. I mean, it's for the most part, Justin Herbert seems unflappable. You know, when, when stuff's hitting the fan early on, usually compared to like rivers in, in his last few seasons, um, I'm not stressed out because usually he's good to bounce back. His mental fortitude is, is something fierce, man. It, it really is commendable, but when it's consistent, and I think no matter how strong his shoulders are, the pressure can still get to him. Yeah. And when he's asked to throw his team out of third and eights, three to third and tens, and then, you know, they've had some bad penalty luck as well, some, some disciplinary issues. Um, where that puts him behind the chains, like you cannot expect him to throw your team out of those situations over and over and over again. So I think a quick way for the Broncos to really throw a wrench into everything that the Chargers want to do in this game is just keep them behind the chains, make them feel uncomfortable, 
again, exploit the right side of the offensive line. I think it's a fairly easy to, I guess, like uh, it's a fairly recipe, I think, to fairly easy recipe, excuse me, to execute in the end because it's literally just like, here's the problem area, exploit it. Here's this, do this, mm-hmm. um, as opposed to other things. So I'm nervous. Let's just put it this way. I could go on and explain why, but like, that's all there. That's my hope. I hope the Broncos can do this. Uh, and honestly, if they come out and do something completely different in terms of game plan, I'm going to probably throw something because again, it looks obvious like what you try to do to win this game. So hopefully mm-hmm. the Broncos try and do that and hopefully the players can execute. I mean, it's a Melvin Gordon revenge game. Like it the is. guy's going to live for this. Like he, he lived for it last season. Um, he's going to live for it again. Uh, because he's, he's not going to let like, He'll die before he try. He, he allows Austin Eckler to like outshine him in this game, right? Austin Eckler nipped at his heels the entire time last few years that he was with the Chargers. So like, there's that. That's gonna be the fuel he needs, and there's probably gonna be something cool he does. But yeah, that's gonna be a thing to watch. Thank you again so much for coming on, uh, guys. Again, yeah. uh, if you do not follow Michael on Twitter, go do it. He is at Zone Tracks. And if you want to read his stuff, he is at Bolts from the Blue. Yeah, thank you so much, man. And if I don't talk to you beforehand, have a fantastic Thanksgiving. Yeah, man, I appreciate it. It's always fun to to talk ball, especially between you know two teams that are in the same division. And uh, you know you as well. Go enjoy, get some downtime, some nice TLC over the holidays. Lord knows it's already hard to come by, you know, during the season. But when we get those chances, you know, we got to capitalize. <laughs>